0: Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. Now, Global Management Consultancy Kearney has released its 2022 Global Cities Report exploring the uncertainties faced by the urban centers around the world. This year, average index scores on the Global Cities Index have fallen across all regions, particularly as indicators of business activity and human capital declined. However, in the face of global adversity, five cities in the Asia Pacific took the top ten spots. These are namely Tokyo, Beijing meeting, Melbourne and, of course, Singapore's on the list as well, and Hong Kong, with Beijing and Melbourne gaining positions from last year. Now, the report comes amid a recent forecast by S&P Global Market Intelligence that the region will lead global economic growth next year. Against this backdrop, how would APEC cities perform, especially since none of them took the top five spots on Kearney's global cities outlook? Well, to find out more, we are joined by sun Chua, senior partner at Kearney. Hi, sun thanks for joining us today.
1: Hi, thanks for having me on.
0: Okay, so let's start off by getting a better picture of what the index measures and the impetus for this year's annual Global Cities Report. Give us an idea of the indicators and markers that you looked at.
1: Yeah, so maybe some background on why Kearney created this annual Global Cities Index almost a decade ago. So we think global cities are important barometers of present and future prospects for the entire world as they are engines of dynamism, innovation and growth. So the Global Cities Index is to quantify the extent to which a city can attract retain, and generate global flows of capital, people, and ideas. And it assesses how globally engaged cities are across five dimensions. So that would be business activity, human capital, information exchange, cultural experience, and political engagement. And within each of these areas, we have public metrics that we track and that helps to basically generate the scores for the Global Cities Index.
0: Okay, so none of the apex cities were in the top five. We were in the top 10, though. What exactly is missing in this region?
1: Well, I think the region as a whole, having five out of the top 10 up there is a pretty good performance. And generally, the cities have good scores around levels of business activities, being fairly diverse and attractive in terms of talents, international and open in terms of engagement, and from a cultural point of view. I think the top, Five cities are the usual names of Paris and London and New York, where they have had many, many years to build up both the political, economic and cultural cachet. So, and therefore I think Asia's cities continue to make grounds on the
0: But clearly we can do better. And considering what we're facing right now, red hot inflation, a slowdown in China, a conflict in Ukraine, climate change. These are some of the harsh realities that we've been experiencing in recent months. How might this intensify pressure on this region more so or perhaps equally as it would on as they would on the other cities that you mentioned?
1: Well, I mean, the our Global Business Policy Council, we just released our global economic outlook last month. And similar to, I think, other reports that you have quoted, the good news for Asia is that it is expected to continue to grow the fastest among all the regions in the world. right? So averaging about 4% GDP growth per annum for the next three years. And And the
0: reasons for this?
1: Well, I mean, a large part of it is due to the natural demographic of Asia. A lot of the Developing economies are going into the middle-income boom, and obviously it is relatively conflict-free compared to Europe and some parts of the rest of the world. While there has been some diversification of the supply chain outside China, a large part of it is going into places like Southeast Asia. So there's still massive investment flow going in Asia as a whole, as a as a manufacturing hub for the rest we should continue Asia growing faster than the rest of the world, at least for the next three to five years. But then, you know, I think all the headwinds and uncertainties that, that you highlighted are headwinds and uncertainties, whereas whether those are inflation, growth, the challenge of debts, and of course, the political and social risk from rising inequality.
0: Mm. Of course, there needs to be proper leadership as well, right? Because policies do matter, economic policies, or even cultural and talent policies, all of these things do matter. So what would your advice to leaders of these cities be in order to help them progress in such an environment?
1: Well, I think we recommended eight pathways of action in our study in order to increase the resilience of cities and nations to navigate uncertainty. So this includes finding new and different ways to generate new revenues. So as increase the fiscal capacity of cities as well as nations to receive uncertainty. So this can include targeting non-tax revenue, um, expanding access to capital with aggregated platforms, so similar to, say, the UK municipal Bond agency or the Swedish community and tapping capital carbon as an alternative revenue to fund green infrastructure for example through carbon taxes which um, places like Singapore has already started. The other key pillars of course would be around helping the economically vulnerable through targeted guarantee income programs and also connecting charitable giving with the most need potentially through government-sponsored platforms that give assurance of money going to the most vulnerable in Australia.
0: Now, what does the trend of deglobalization actually mean for all the apex cities as well? I think in Asia, we're seeing less of this. But in other regions of the world, there has been a tendency to move towards that. So to what extent do you think that might have repercussions here as well?
1: Well, we have been helping companies identify what are the implications of deglobalization. And our key insights are the following. So global trade will still continue to grow will be at a lower pace from the past thirty years when China entered the WTO and there's increasing you know, the increasing black world and the whole pieces around it. However, trade flows will shift, so driven by supply chain resistance, resistance of drawers still tensions. So as an example, companies are diversifying from China to a China plus one strategy for the supply chain, which means that there's now more manufacturing and trade flows moving to other countries, particularly Vietnam Southeast Asia. And countries that are nearer shore to the Western world such as Mexico or Central. Trade flows will also be more regionalized and localised as a reaction to diversification and also climate impact. So, so we are likely to see shorter supply chains and more self-support. So for example, Singapore's move to source 30% of its food by locally is an example of that.
0: Alright, thanks very much for your time today, Sun Gi. Chua, Senior Partner at Kearney. Thanks for joining us on Prime Time.